With your permission, I'd like to spin a little further. You may not. And welcome to another episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where film meets psychology. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and uh, today we are going to do something a little different. This episode is going to be a dual episode. Um, We're going to talk about Two films, as the title suggests, we're going to talk about uh, the 1950s classic Akira Kurosawa film Rashomon. And to sort of wet our whistle just a little bit, uh, we are going to complement that, we'll say, with a pairing of... The recent whodunit, which I think is an exquisite film. We're, we're going to be talking about really exquisite films today, but Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. So they both have really uh, similar premises um, in with respect to all of the memory stuff. And so, you know, we're going to compare 1950 to 2019, almost a 70-year span of time. But uh, Rashomon really uh, brings to the fore some great filmmaking techniques and uh, a great exploration of motivation and memory. And then, of course, the classic whodunit uh, caper is well known for the kind of fodder that uh this this uh this genre uh brings. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun talking about Rashomon and uh Knives Out. Before we jump into it, I wanted to uh mention that uh we're probably going to spoil the end of Knives Out. Uh, there's no real end to spoil for Rashomon. Um, Akira Kurosawa leaves the end fairly interpretable. But uh, yeah, there's there's definitely a ruining of the end. So if you don't want to uh, get the uh, end ruined for you, well, I suggest pausing the podcast now going and watching Knives Out, and then coming back. Now, if you're like, eh, whodunits, I like the journey getting there rather than the mystery of it, um, which, by the way, is really fun, uh, the journey that gets you to uh, the end. But if if that's what you like about whodunits, well, then stick around, listen, you know, we'll tell you, we'll basically tell you at the beginning what happens uh, at the end. So stick around. Thanks for coming. My guest host today is Dr. Celeste 
Pilligard. Celeste is an assistant teaching professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of California, San Diego. She studies cognitive and educational psychology, sort of how learning works and how to design instruction to facilitate processes of learning. Celeste, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. You bet. I am super glad to have you on. We were office mates all throughout <laughs> throughout uh, grad school, like five years. We made our office look really nice in that last year, and then it's probably gone to uh, probably gone to hell in a handbasket after. Oh gosh, can you imagine? Yeah, oh, the, the horror. Anyways, <laughs> you got to stay in California, and I left when we graduated. Fast forward four years later, holy crap! Yeah. It's, it's yeah. wild, right? It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, California is, uh, uh, misses you very much. I know. Uh, oh, man. But it's, it's lovely to get a little <laughs> Skype action in. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to talk about some uh, films today related to our experiences in grad school, which was all about cognitive psychology. I mean, we, we, um, we pretty much did everything in like sync did the lab meetings with our advisors uh office mates as i said and we graduated at the same time it's like studied for quals at the same time studied for quals oh my god (laughs) and then like we took them a few weeks apart Uh i think i feel uh, like that's the closest we ever were (laughs) (laughs) just really in the trenches (laughs) just the horror of it you know exactly yeah um So we're going to we're going to chat about a couple of movies, Uh, Rashomon, um, which, you know, is uh, the early contender for like one of one of the uh, most amazing um, memory films out there, in my opinion, in my opinion, of course. And then we're going to kind of like flip that script and um, apply some of those concepts to Knives Out, which came out last year. It's actually, I think, still in theaters. That seems possible, yeah. Uh, I, I might be mistaken, although I did... We're, we're on the cutting edge, Alex. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. I did watch it on DVD, but maybe... I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I could be wrong. I'm just... I'm... Yeah. I'm out of touch sometimes, but that's okay. Sure. But hey, we're going to do cutting edge and literally because it's Knives Out. So pun intended, everyone. Ooh, very <laughs> nice transition. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So... um. As I ask my guest hosts uh, when they come on about the films that we're going to discuss, um, what about your research and what about your teaching um, can generally rep- uh, apply to these films or or maybe just films in general? Sure. So I um, I study learning, as you said. I study how to design instruction. And I think that the most striking thing when you start looking into what helps people learn. There are all of these like folk theories about whether you're a visual learner or a verbal learner and uh, (laughs) uh, all of that nonsense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, just all of these uh, um, like small things around the margins that affect learning. Uh, But the lion's share of the variance in, you know, if you have two people in a classroom and they both get the same lesson and one leaves having learned a lot and one leaves uh, uh, having learned very little, the thing that probably makes up the biggest difference between the two of them is that one has a lot of relevant prior knowledge 
and the other doesn't have the relevant prior knowledge that they need. Um, And so, you know, I, so I study, I say I'm like a learning, uh, learning researcher, but it's, it's also studying memory at the same time. So, you know, these aren't like pedagogical films or anything, but they, they really emphasize the way that, um, the way that memory can differ, uh, 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 between and among, uh, among people, you know, in, in this case, we can talk about you know it's 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 more than just it's more than just prior knowledge going on here obviously this is sure, not just yeah. like somebody sat in on an engineering lecture and they couldn't remember any of it because they hadn't <laughs> taken the prereq uh <laughs> there are obviously some layers here um oh but, don't get me uh, started about prereqs oh god oh uh. gosh <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, we, we, like, we learn by these, like, particular, this particular set of mechanics that are quite similar among everybody. It's, it's not true that some people are visual learners and some people are verbal learners. Right. Um, but where this, uh, where this difference comes in is that we're all kind of, we're all bringing different sets of knowledge, uh, into any given situation. And it vastly changes, uh, the way that we process any new information that we have. And I think that's, um, represented in really interesting ways, uh, in these particular films. I agree. I agree. And we're going to, we're going to get into the nitty gritty on that, uh, for sure. Uh, but so let's, 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 uh, broaden this out to, to film in general. So my question then would be, what do you love about film? And, um, do you uh, have the opportunity to combine film and, uh, psych in your teaching and, um, what sorts of things if you were or do, would you want students, other film enthusiasts, to to know about the two yeah so i i uh i have you know, knowing that i was going to be on this podcast i've been thinking about this a lot and Excellent. uh thank you um <laughs> thank you for the opportunity and no, you know, I, I, I love i love film and i um I feel like there's a lot that film has contributed to my understanding of a lot of psychological phenomena um i oh, I, cool. I mean i'm gonna yeah. And, well, so and and so the I mean, where this is going is for me to say I fully do not use film uh, yeah. in my teaching. Um, OK, that's, that's not that's OK. OK, um, <laughs> I'm going to have to stop this podcast immediately. Yeah, right. But it was lovely um, to catch how, up. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> Here's my problem. I'm on the quarter system and we have 10 <laughs> weeks of class and each session is 50 minutes long. And I have not figured out how to like, you know, when I when I took cognitive psychology, we watched a memento across two class periods because we were on the semester system. Yeah, and we had time exactly. To kill. That's, yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. And I just I don't have that affordance anymore. But I guess I mean, to get back to what to what I love about film. So so something that I think is really, uh, really special about just fiction in general, art in general, and then film can really, you know, create this immersive experience that some other uh, media can't. Uh, But is this way that you can uh, uh, kind of capture what it's like to experience something that um, I think in psychology, you know, I can tell you all day about these different memory phenomena and I can tell you about, you know, patients who have different, uh, uh, different memory disorders or different perceptual disorders. And you can say, oh gosh, you know, I, that's so, it's so fascinating that there's such a range of experiences that you can have. Mm -hmm. Um, but what, but what film can do really well is, is try to create that, try to say like, Hey, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be you, (laughs) but like, here's what it's like to be me, you know, you can kind yeah. of create this, um, to give this sense. And so like, I mean, Memento is, is the, uh, you know, 
uh, what's a piece de resistance? Is this a piece de resistance? I don't speak any French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could call it. Yeah, we could call it the piece the piece de resistance. I don't sure, know. Yeah, sure. it's great. Uh, it's impossible to say. So, so you know, Memento, I mean, it's this remarkable piece in terms of you can learn all of this stuff about interrograde amnesia, but uh, right. Memento really tries to capture like what maybe it could feel like. Uh, and we don't uh -huh. know, you know, uh, you can't, I can't tell you what it's like to be in my head, but Memento is a really interesting hypothesis about what that might be like. Um, and I, and I think that this is something that a lot of, a lot of my favorite movies kind of do. Um, and so some of the movies that I've seen relatively recently that I think do this really well, um, uh, where you're kind of distilling some aspect of a lived experience are, um, uh, so we've heard of the examples I was thinking of, like um, uh, Anomalisa, which is this really wild Charlie Kaufman movie um, oh. that captures something about depression okay. uh, that I think is really that I that I it and it's it's not it's not that it's teaching you about depression. It's capturing through storytelling and through this very weird movie with puppets uh, what depression huh. kind of could be like. Um, okay. Or. Uh, or the lobster is one that, like, I think captures something about loneliness, uh, uh, and and you know the kind of like the 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 difficulty of being like a single person in a world where that's not supposed to be the thing that you're supposed to be. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, Midsummer was the last one, uh, the most recent one of these that I saw, where um, it's. I mean, Midsummer is very much about this, like internal experience of feeling like nobody sees you um or uh get out which uh um it uh, kind of captures you know through this like science fiction story just like how frustrating and terrifying and stupid it is to have to live in a world where like your fate is determined by people's dumb racist ideas um uh -huh. and so mm -hmm. I, so all of these were like you know it's not like you're not going in to watch a lecture or something but you leave with yeah. some feeling of what maybe it's like to live in us in somebody else's brain for a little while and i think yeah. that that's something that is so cool because like we know as cognitive psychologists like we can't simulate having a mind other than our own. Uh, you know, we we right. we just we have the one that we're in. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I feel like art is a place that we can kind of explore what it might be like uh, a little bit to, to be somebody other than ourselves. I fully co-sign co on that idea. I love it. I love it. And to to hear it articulated by you is is actually pretty wonderful because I had those feelings, too. But I don't know if I could uh, really articulate it beyond um, maybe talking about the essence of the film, like going into like a sort of a, like a, a film digest as opposed to um, what I'm hearing, like almost like a, an experience or a person digest uh -huh. uh, within that film setting. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Have you, have you seen Midsummer? No, I haven't. But, uh, oh man, I, I think I that Midsummer got me thinking list. about this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think Midsummer is Midsummer is one where it's it's uh, uh, it's so like visceral the feeling that it gives you watching it that it kind of okay. it kind of got me thinking about the way that film can do this. Uh, so highly recommended. Very very fine film. I think you'd love it. Okay. Um, but okay. Uh, but yeah, I think so, it's so, uh, I think it's on streaming. I think it's somewhere. Oh sure, yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, so so oh, yeah, so the the just to say, I I don't use uh, a lot of film in class. I sometimes I'll try to make cultural references, but it's hard because like I have a lot of international students and just mm -hmm. students who, you know, I am increasingly 
you know, further and further away in age from my students. And so yeah. just making assumptions about any kind of cultural touchstone, sometimes I will throw something out and just the crickets in the room make me feel so old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I like, you know, when there's an opportunity to bring something in, like, you know, a piece of art or a poem or something like that, sometimes there'll be something that can capture a little bit of, you know, look, look how, you know, when we're talking about perception in class, you know, look how this, you know, artist noticed this thing yeah. uh, long before any scientists were talking about it. Right. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it, it, it takes a little less time to show a painting than it does to show a film. That's very, that's very true. Um, although, <laughs> just got a comment from a um, uh, mid-semester feedback that uh, I need to uh, explain uh, images more or something uh -huh. like that. Okay. Um, and I thought it was odd. Um, uh -huh. And sensation and perception. I, I don't know. Um, do, you, do you know what kind of so images weird. they're talking about? I don't know. It yeah. was it was it was strange. But um, love yeah. constructive feedback with no uh, details. You know, these these <laughs> the these things of a thousand words. Please explain them more. <laughs> right. 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 A thousand isn't that many words. You know, that's like four pages. Double spaced. Uh, yeah, that is true. Oh, man. <laughs> Okay, well, these are all great points, but you have a larger point to make regarding Rashomon and Knives Out. Details on this choice? Oh, what made me want to to yes. talk about this film particularly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I... Uh, <laughs> So when you when you were asking me what a uh, film might be that I was interested in, mm -hmm. you know, Rashomon is one of those that's like as you say it's it's in the canon of memory and film that like yeah. Um, yeah I mean a lot of films are are about memories you know Citizen Kane is about memories but like Rashomon yes. is about memory Rashomon has like a theory of memory like a yes. testable theory of memory yes um, and and um it, I I don't think it gets um. As much, we'll say, we'll say, um, brain time in the United States because it's a Japanese film, mm -hmm. it's a foreign language film, so it requires subtitles if you're going to show it in an English speaking classroom, and so maybe it gets passed over, right? Sometimes right. because I don't know. of that. Now that now that Bong Joon Ho has told us all that we need to start watching more movies with subtitles, I think it's going to really change. Really going to change the zeitgeist. Uh, yeah, did you see we'll Parasite? see. I, I mean, I have my I have my hopes. Um, <laughs> yeah, because foreign language films are amazing. Right, right. Um, there are some that like just you know fly under the radar. Um, and and this one almost did. Um, but luckily it won in Khan. I think I don't remember exactly uh. when, but um, uh, like. Yeah, it almost didn't get any recognition back in the 1950s. I mean, I think it ended up winning the best foreign film Oscar, but maybe it was only because it had had yes. film festival success. Uh -huh. I see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. Yeah, it didn't. It, it did did not make it. It would not have made it to the United States had it not um, passed the uh, film festival test. Uh. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. so, so Rashomon immediately, you know, it, it, when I'm thinking of like, okay, what movies could I possibly comment on? But then I thought that it might be, uh, 
you know, more fun to do something that came out a little bit more recent and mm-hmm. trying to think of you know, what of the recent movies that I've seen do I would I have something to say about in terms of psychology. Mm-hmm. And I loved Knives Out so, yes, so it was very, very good. much. It was very, and very good. I'm so glad that you liked it. It uh it is such a fun movie. Uh it is good in it is good in almost every way I think a movie can be good. I absolutely loved it. Um but it also I think it it um I feel like it it speaks directly to Rashomon in a lot of ways. And like it's clearly like there's clear influence there. Mm-hmm. But there's also I think I there are um you know it's doing it's doing some of the same things. They're, they're both they're both whodunits. I feel silly to call Rashomon a whodunit. Um, uh, <laughs> Knives Out <Yeah>. is <laughs> Knives Out is like overtly a whodunit. Rashomon yeah. is like technically that is the that is kind of the question, kind of a question. <laughs> right? Yeah. Who? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and they both take this question of like how can how can you find out the truth of something that happened in the past when all when the only evidence that you have uh is people's testimony mm-hmm. uh uh how can you you know how how can you access the truth of a situation when i was uh talking about like uh what i like about art uh in the classroom and what i like about art in terms of informing psychology um and i i th- think that like I only saw Rashomon the first time in the last year, and uh, it was just kind of fascinating to see this movie that came out in 1950, mm-hmm. uh, so long before cognitive psychologists had figured out most things that we know now about memory. It was such a new field. I mean, right. cognitive psychology hadn't the term hadn't been coined yet, um, right. and and there uh, there's just like you know it 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 kind of exemplifies for me that. You cognitive psychologists are interested in the certain set of questions, but it's not new that we're interested in these questions, that humans are interested in these questions. It's just new that uh, we're asking these questions with a particular set of tools. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you can mm-hmm. look back in art and you can see people capturing this thing. And with Rashomon, we're seeing these memory phenomena. Um, and and you, you can see this elsewhere, too. You can see this in uh, you can see this in literature and in art mm-hmm. where you can see like, oh, you know what, you know, a hundred or two hundred years before anybody had figured out uh, this thing about perception in any kind of you know rigor- rigorous scientific way, people were right. still noticing that that's how they experience the world and representing it that way. Right. Um, and I love that. Love that very much. Yeah, it's good. Um, and yes, I did love Knives Out. Um, and uh, so and, and I was waiting for it to come out on on video to to watch it. But as soon as you mentioned it, I'm like, well, hell yeah, it's coming out <laughs> on video. Um. In just a couple of weeks, so yeah, we can totally do this. And um, you know, I'm I'm trying um new things every episode uh for this year and uh f- for this year, but just like as the podcast continues, mm-hmm. and I'm um, doing two films. This is the first time we've done two films, a crossover episode. A cr- yeah, <laughs> and it's um, it's great because the two films do just work very well with each other. Um, it's not like we're we're talking about uh, you know uh, awakenings and uh, which is you know a film about uh, uh, mental health and then um, you know like uh, uh, shoot I don't know this this joke would have gone better if I had planned it <laughs> um, awakenings and fifty first dates sure <laughs> <laughs> we go, can we yes. talk about fifty first dates for a second. 
Yeah, go for it. I've never seen the film. Well, that's and a problem. It's a problem because uh, when I teach, I, I I'm asked about nothing more than I'm asked about 50 first dates that when I will yeah. talk about memory and I'll talk about I mean not e- even before I talk about amnesia get people raising their hands oh, is this like in 50 first dates and I'm almost certain that the answer is no like I'm almost <laughs> like everything yes. that I've gathered is that it isn't it is not a good portrayal of what it's trying to portray no. it's a comedy and it's it's using a device that is useful to be funny yes. uh uh and but like I I I just I'm not really that interested in seeing it, but I feel like I am just going to have to at some point just so I can I explain to, to students exactly why. All right, fine. Yeah, I think you need to do your due diligence on that one. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah, just so you can definitively say no. The okay. answer to your question. So is this like in fi- I'm going to stop you there. You? <laughs> is this like in 51st states? Um, just just bite your tongue. Bite it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just going to FaceTime you into the classroom and you can explain. Okay. The answer is no. Okay, okay bye, Celeste. <laughs> bye. <laughs> uh, uh, Jason Spiegelman wanted uh, me to, to uh, tell uh, his class a few weeks ago um, about, oh, what was it? It was something, and he wanted me to. He, I, I couldn't get on the phone, but he wanted to like put me on speakerphone and just be like, "Here's, uh, I, I, I don't have time to." To to tell you how wrong you are, actually, it's going to bother me. <laughs> uh, so uh, so uh, yeah, it didn't work out. But uh-huh. um, I am I am free to do that. I am Great. I am also free. Uh, so <laughs> so yeah. All right, okay. I'm holding you to so, that. <laughs> fair enough. Um, okay, so let's jump into chatting about the various psych aspects of the two two movies and i mm-hmm. think um it would be silly if we didn't talk about the um named effect uh-huh. um that comes from rashomon so the rashomon effect so um i wrote it in in a in our little notes document <laughs> that the rashomon effect is essentially the result of the terribleness and yes terribleness is a word of eyewitness testimony um mm-hmm. because eyewitness testimony can be given in contradictory ways and um you know the criminal justice system's like let's just keep using it uh-huh. um and so the rashomon effect is like well viewer which story is correct which story are you going to put your trust into uh, and then Heider, in his 1988 book, said um, that the bias in perception, so what you were talking about earlier with the um, prior knowledge that comes in it and it changes the way we see the world, um, can change the memory, uh, which to the person saying the, uh, saying the uh, things that happened, in recalling the story and recounting their um, their perception of it, it's plausible to them. And if it's plausible to them, it's probably plausible to the person asking them uh-huh. or the person viewing it mm-hmm. um, in the case of, of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as I'm aware, um, no film prior to Rashomon really played with this. 
I don't think it was um I don't think it was part of like the filmmaking story bin where mm-hmm. you know filmmakers were grabbing stories to to uh to make films out of um you know whether they were stage plays before or they were written stories you know other adaptations mm-hmm. but this is a 100% original story um messing with the viewer's perception on which one to believe mm-hmm. a few scholars took that uh, uh a little bit further and um a lot of people think that the last story is the true one mm-hmm. and this is how the formula then works from the wash for the rashomon effect mm-hmm. um yeah so what are your thoughts on the the rashomon effect so in rashomon uh you you have these like as you say it's these it, multiple perspectives on the same event uh, Mm -hmm. that differ in really meaningful ways in terms of culpability um, and in some cases in terms of of just the bare facts of the situation Um, and uh, and ending with this final version of the story from is that the woodcutter that tells the last version the woodcutter yeah the woodcutter mm-hmm. um, yeah which, which I think you're right that we're supposed to assume is is the more accurate version but even even then I think we then don't we then see him do something kind of dishonest or no uh, I can't remember the he, last scene the the idea is that uh, the baby is uh-huh. um, the final um, the final issue to be resolved. Uh-huh. And um, it's ambiguous. So, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the film: uh-huh. <laughs> the um, the baby is only mentioned in uh, the the final story, mm-hmm. the woodcutter story, and um, he has he ends up talking about how he found this baby and 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 he took it took it into his into his family, and um, uh, <clears throat> it's he says it's. The samurais and the woman, mm-hmm. the woman's baby, um, and with it found a really, really uh, nice jewel, like necklace or something like that, jewel, uh-huh. some jewelry um, that was potentially worth a lot of money. And uh-huh. so, yeah, it's yeah. ambiguous as to whether or not the baby's his, and he's just uh-huh. using that as a means to steal um or that he's then t- basically stealing a baby and raising it as his own which right. is part of the story that he weaves he's like right. i'm this not my baby but i'm gonna raise it as my own because i found yeah. it yeah and it's like is it really is it, it was it not your baby to start with man yeah so yeah yeah so i think like this final moment to be like look even this guy's self-serving you know yeah uh uh and yeah, so I, so I think that um, that Rashomon ends in this uh, really despairing place about like just the the unknowability of truth that like right uh, um, that we can't we can't trust anybody because everybody everybody's biased um, mm-hmm. and and I don't like in terms of the the like eyewitness testimony of it all it's Mm -hmm. it's unclear whether kurosawa is saying that these people are literally remembering the story 
in mm-hmm. different ways or if they are telling it in self-serving ways, which I think is an important right. distinction. Um, right. And and I think he um, he does a good job with the third second or third story, which is the story of the dead samurai. <laughs> right. right. Who participated in the the act, you know, the all of the events that mm-hmm. the, the bandit is on trial for mm-hmm. um and so sprinkling that in through the voices of 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 some i don't know mediums i suppose yeah. is what they were uh is a is a good way to to sort of put his hand in front he's like i'm not saying that eyewitnesses are bad or good it, uh-huh. they're just they're there and they're part of it right 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 yeah yeah and and i think that so um so I think I think that uh, I think Rashomon has something really important to say there. It's, it's taking a strong stance in terms of um, and it, like this is I mean, this is how you get an effect named after you. Uh, yeah. You don't get a you get you don't get an effect named after you when you take a kind of middling stance in terms of like well <laughs> the world is complex. It could be a lot of ways. Rashomon <laughs> is taking the strong stance that like you, you know how can you, how can you ever trust anybody's story when everybody is self serving um and yes. i i feel like um i i've been thinking about this a lot in terms of eyewitness memory research and so so there is so much uh uh you know there's so much research from the last you know, many decades now, uh, you 50 know, some years. The, yeah. yeah. Right. Stuff since the seventies. That's really important for this. And, right. uh, uh, demonstrating the ways that, you know, memory does not, memory is not a video camera. Memory is, you know, we're right. not just clicking play on our head on some, on some perfect, um, on some perfect recording. And it's not just, the problem isn't just that the, the film decays with time. You know, the problem is that it's, it is susceptible to really meaningful distortions. Um, yeah. Really meaningful distortions. So I can jump in with uh, Bartlett's war of the ghosts. So that, you know, when, when you talk about expectation in remembering things and, and uh, the cultural expectation that was uh, in the, f- first and foremost aspect of this really seminal study. So Bartlett had uh, British Cambridge students uh, read a Native American folktale and details of that folktale have like, there was no changes to the, uh, the story elements. And so they were all how the, um, that particular tribe told that story and um, you know, details about literally fighting with ghosts and spirits. And then w- one mm-hmm. of the main characters uh, of the story dies at the end. And this black ooze is coming out of his mouth. And, mm-hmm. and uh, there, it, it, the, the ooze is important to this, this tribe's culture. And, and um, so uh, Bartlett had the students uh, uh, retell the story immediately after reading it. Eh, it's fine. They got, they got most of the details. And they had him come back. A couple of weeks later, then um, they started uh, omitting things, omitting important parts of the story and then changing the way uh, that certain aspects of the story. Then he had to come back a month later. Um, I don't know. I think he had them come back at like three different time intervals. Mm-hmm. But he would he would have them read somebody else's recollection and then oh, yeah, recall okay. that recollection. 
So yeah. there's like a series of like, he, so it's it's like a game of telephone, you know, because yes. he, he was interested in in errors and what yes. amplifies errors better than a game of telephone. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, by the, by this time, by even like three months out, um, the details of the story were, um, <laughs> were no longer resembling uh, the Native American story. Mm-hmm. Um I think one important aspect of that black ooze that I just mentioned was replaced with, you know, foaming at the mouth, which mm-hmm. like two wildly different things, but you know, European Americans don't know about ooze, black ooze <laughs> coming from one's mouth, and so but they might be familiar with rabies, right? <laughs> which leads to like foaming of the mouth and, you know, people dying in in that way. And so it, these Things were omitted, things mm-hmm. were changed, and that's because they were recollecting that through their lens, as you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you see, like, immediate, immediately, like, the first recollection, the whole everything about the spirit world goes away. It, mm-hmm. Immediately, because these students don't have a schema for a war between, you know, mortals and ghosts in the same right. realm. And uh, and so they retell it so that, okay well, now it's just going to be a battle and they're not trying to make errors. They're they're trying to remember it accurately. Um, And and you also you see, you know, British British college students, the folk tales that they would know would be what, like Robin Hood uh, or King Arthur or something like that. And so you, you also get people retelling it and they're starting it with. Once upon a time, because they're they're <laughs> sw- turning it into the schema that they have in their folk yeah. tales. It starts with once upon a time. There's a clear sense of a hero who's on some kind mm-hmm. of you know righteous hero's journey, mm-hmm. um, which is not the schema that that uh, uh, that is useful to accurately recall this folktale that comes from a completely different folktelling tradition. And yeah. so you see, you, like, there's in one of the retellings, the black thing that comes out of the mouth becomes the soul. So it suddenly mm, becomes a much yeah. more Christian uh, yeah, story. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. And and so, uh, uh, yeah, so what you're finding is that the way that people are making errors is, it's again, not decay. Maybe there's some. There there are details that are lost. People forget the name of the bay where they are. But then also it's these really non-random distortions that you're finding that people are uh, uh, kind of reorganizing the story around their expectations, around their schemas for a folktale. And so, you know, it's not that they're like, oh, this is too weird and I'm going to make it into something else. It's just that it's literally how they're remembering it is is in this distorted way. And you can see that in the film by the bandits perspective mm-hmm. and then the um, the samurai through the mediums perspective on like uh-huh. who was the better warrior. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah right. The, and and so I think that that's an interesting thing about Rashomon is that are these people you know, one way to view this is that everybody has perfect memory of the events, but they are telling them in a way that, you know, they sat down, they're like, you know what, that little battle in the woods is really embarrassing for me. And so (laughs) I'm going to think of a way that I can retell it so that instead mm-hmm. of it being about me being a bad warrior, it's actually about my wife being an inconstant woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's the blame isn't on me for being weak. It's on her for being, uh, 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 you know, you know how you know how us ladies are uh, <laughs> just, you know, you just you throw you throw a handsome bandit in front of us. 
and you know we're, we're and... just you can't control what we're gonna do next uh and it is a deeply sexist film but so are so many films uh yes am I wrong? Uh, yeah uh not immune to the not immune to the times that is for sure yeah you know? yeah Groundbreaking um, in some ways, not in others. Uh-huh. But but I mean, so it's uh, um, so so this this uh, this other uh, uh, study that I, that is similar in a similar vein as War of the Ghosts that uh, that I think about a lot is yeah. um, this. I, I don't know how you say this first name. It's like Pichert and Anderson. It might be a Pichert. I, like it, I don't speak French. The 1977 study. We should say mm-hmm. the Bartlett studies, like 1932. Like this is classic. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. This is real like classic. Way early than pre-war. Else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so in in this Pichert and Anderson study, um, it's this uh. Uh, this story about two boys um, who are just like kind of walking one one boy is showing another boy around his home and um, the you are given instructions. Um, so let's say so. So let's say, Alex, uh, that mm-hmm. I um, I'm going to read you a little story and okay. I would like you to listen to this story from okay. the perspective a lot right now. of a burglar. Oh, uh, OK. Okay, so there's these two boys, and they're um, they're walking around a home, and one says, "Oh wow, um, uh, uh, you know, could we play the stereo?" And the other one says, "Sure, uh, uh, don't worry. The nearest house is a quarter of a mile away. Nobody can hear anything that happens here." And then uh, they go through the dining room with you know silver, china, and cut glass, and so they couldn't play in there. Uh, and so it's all all of these details. And what they did is they told people to either listen from the perspective of a burglar. Or listen to the from the perspective of a prospective home buyer, mm-hmm. and when you ask people, you know, okay, now recall everything you can about this story. The burglars, what they're recalling is, okay, nobody's going to be able to hear you for miles, and yeah. the, you know, here's where the china is, and whereas the prospective home buyers are like, oh, well, he mentioned that there was mold in the basement, uh, and so they're just literally <laughs> remembering different things based on their goals, um, and so like this is an example where you're giving people a really specific goal uh, of what they should be remembering, but. Yeah. We have goals all the time, like, you know, anything about confirmation bias. You know, if, if we have yeah. a theory of the world, the information that we're going to be paying attention to is the information that confirms our theories. I'm yes. not a social psychologist, but I'm pretty sure there's like even more there in terms of like identity <laughs> protecting stuff. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And there and so is. I feel like like, you know, with Rashomon, it, it could be. You know, just it, it could just be these people that the wife and the samurai and uh, and the bandit, they are just literally remembering their version of the story based mm-hmm. on the way, you know, the, the things that they were paying attention to and, and what they thought their motivations were at the time. Right. Which is what Heider referred to as, you know, these plausible explanations. Uh-huh. Um, and and they're all contradictory. There uh-huh. are uh, the, the only elements. That remain the same are like the people and the location, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, d- to to take it back to um the study that you just talked about, uh, when you told me to think about these two boys, uh-huh. as burglar as, as a burglar, mm-hmm. I immediately thought of um, uh, Marv and Harry <laughs> from uh-huh. Home Alone. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, everything <laughs> everything was painted through that right right you're thinking about like what stairs could those little boys put motor oil on that might make me slip and then fall into a rake 
which will <laughs> set off an iron. Uh, I don't remember what happens. In but also, one. but also think of them like a bur- like th- think of them as a bur- uh, you know, these two boys as a burglar. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I, I took that literally and I uh-huh. thought the two boys were the burglars. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh so. gosh. Yeah. I, I really sent you on a ride there. <laughs> Yes, but the homebuyer thing. But that's yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting time. I have to, I have to look that up. I have I have not I have not uh, heard of that one. Yeah, well, well. So it's a that's a real that's a real knee slapper there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. how does so let's let's talk about the Rashomon effect? Yeah. Um, with uh with uh, Knives Out. So uh-huh. um, I will say that since Knives Out is a current film um mm-hmm. i said it at the top of the show but you know if you don't want any spoilers mm. we will likely spoil it so mm-hmm. pause now and you can then go you know watch it and come back and, and it's finish so it. good and you're wasting your time like, oh my god mind blown <laughs> <laughs> so um um what is the connection here with knives out on the rashomon effect yeah. So, um, so whereas you, you leave Rashomon feeling despairing about how, you know, we can, God, we can never know anything about the world. And, and, you know, uh, unless we have, you know, uh, uh, incontrovertible physical evidence, we will never be able to solve any case. Knives Out yeah. has such a different perspective. Knives Out says, no, no, no. The truth is, th- the truth is real. The truth uh-huh. is knowable. Uh-huh. Uh, and we have a- we have direct access to the truth throughout the film in a way that is that felt really daring to me as I was watching it, where like there's a point in the film where it's just like, oh, we're just going to solve this part for you. Um, yeah. You know, and you're not even that far into it. Yeah, um, like 20 minutes in and you already know how he died. Uh huh. Yeah. And so um, and you have um, uh uh, what what I think I think my favorite contrast with Rashomon is that in in Rashomon the the s- s- truth is so unknowable that every single person's account is fully realized on screen. So you you know you see right. you see the wives' account of what happened. You see the samurai's account of what happened. The wife's account of what happened. You see the samurai's account of what happened. Uh, and you know they all they all look perfectly plausible. You see them play out in front mm-hmm. of you. In Knives Out does not treat people's stories this way whatsoever. Knives Out, not. you you have somebody who is being interviewed by the investigators, and they are are you know just the same. You you're cutting back between them giving their testimony and and you know these flashbacks of the events flashbacks, that are yeah. going on. Right. And whereas in Rashomon, those match up with each other in knives out you'll hear somebody say something and yep. then they'll flash to the flashback that directly contradicts what they're saying and so you know right. oh this person's lying this person is telling a self-serving story yes um and so so there's much more a sense of like okay we we there there is a truth that is out there and that truth mm-hmm. is gettable and through good detective work you can find it um and and even Benoit i mean blanc be- yes, thank. Oh, that was nice. That was nice. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, um, 
Uh, the, I mean, I feel like this the starkest demonstration of of like Ryan Johnson. Is it Ryan Johnson or Ryan? It is Johnson? Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. The starkest demonstration of Ryan Johnson's theory of truth, I think, comes with his main character Marta, who has mm-hmm. this condition where she uh, she just magically throws up anytime that she lies. And so yeah. it really suggests that like there, you know, there is a, there is a truth that is there. It is, it is so truth is so real that it can cause a physical reaction mm-hmm. in someone when it is, uh, 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 when a lie is given instead. And I want to know if this is a real condition. Oh, you know, it's not a real condition. That is the silliest idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, maybe. You could like, I mean, I, maybe if you like, there could be a. You could like have a. You could throw up due to anxiety, and and by extension, if you have a lot of anxiety around lying. Okay, that is so that is like that a, is what we should like be solving a, a on the polygraph. Cinema Psych podcast. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, a- we are not clinical psychologists. No, <laughs> no, no. But I liken it to uh, your your description here. It's a polygraph. It's an internal exactly. polygraph. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so we have these like two very different uh, uh, like epistemological frameworks for these two directors uh, mm. where one where one is is very convinced that the truth is unknowable. And the other is letting us know the entire time that there there is a truth out there. And we are obviously just like, you know, if you just have have Marta say enough uh, possible solutions and then see which one she doesn't throw up after you know maybe you could figure out way sooner uh, (laughs) you know um and uh yeah and so so uh i think that i think that with johnson i think that part of also what he is doing is he he is removing some of the ambiguity of kurosawa where where johnson i feel like (laughs) he is really clearly saying that these characters are lying. I don't think yes. I don't think that in Knives Out there's a strong sense that that maybe this could be maybe this could be people just filtering the world through their particular viewpoint. It seems much more like these are people who are telling a story that makes them sound good enough to get their to get their inheritance. Yes. I uh I agree with that one for sure. Um because you see their their self-serving motivations throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, you're you just you're just like, wow, these people are actual assholes uh-huh. <laughs> with like they don't even they don't even know where Marta's from. Uh-huh. And they'll right. just throw out a random uh, <laughs> a random country someplace. Uh-huh. Some and, Spanish speaking um, or maybe I think, oh, I think uh, one person said Brazil. <laughs> Ransom. Uh, okay. Ransom said Brazil. OK, and it's like hey, what? <laughs> yeah she speaks spanish (laughs) so i mean even even the character of ransom just like you know he's got something else going on with him because he's just as bad right 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 yeah that's a good point that's like an early indicator that don't be don't be fooled by the handsome man in the nice sweater something yes The handsome man in the nice sweater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know what the movie's about. Uh, um. <laughs> it's about Captain America, right? It's, it's about Captain America, yeah. Uh-huh. It's Captain America 4. Yeah, it was a very yeah. weird sequel. Yeah, odd. Yeah. I mean, he took it, it took it in a um, completely different direction. Yeah, you it know, was, Ryan I, Johnson did that to Star Wars, so, you sure, know. Sure, sure, yeah. It's it's in his, it's his wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. 
Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and so so I I think I mean imagine what a different movie Rashomon would be if instead of seeing the the character's testimony play out on screen, we're seeing it tra- uh, 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 transposed next to what actually happened. Yeah. You know, like how different would you would your perception of each of the characters be if you could see their lies in real time or their distortions in real time? Yeah, I think if especially for the woodcutter uh-huh. who is the last and um to uh Kurosawans, the, uh-huh. the 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 people who follow his film career and specifically his ideas for this one, um you know, if you saw him place the baby down and was like oh my gosh i found this baby uh-huh. uh then you would like immediately know and so all the ambiguity of the end would be out the window uh-huh. you'd be um, you, you'd be immediately not a fan of this guy uh-huh. even though he is portrayed through his testimony as um the um you know the innocent bystander who just yeah. happened to catch all of this yeah with no motivations in it whatsoever, but obviously mm-hmm. he had some. So it would be a completely different story and him would not be winning any awards. Uh, I don't know. Maybe let Ryan Johnson direct it, you know? I want to see the Ryan Johnson uh, remake of Rashomon, uh, where there's a, a, a sassy Georgian detective <laughs> that is interviewing... <laughs> Interviewing all these people. Yeah. I want to see I want to see Benoit Blanc at a séance interrogating a ghost. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Well, they're already <laughs> doing Knives Out 2. Okay. And it's going to be centered on him. Great. So, Perfect. If only, if only. Yeah. So last episode, we uh, started a new segment called it uh, Your Thoughts. You know, super original, right? Well, for this particular episode, I asked um, for your thoughts on Rashomon, favorite parts, how might you use it in a classroom setting? And we got a few responses on this one, and I, I really appreciate all the people who jumped in and and um, shared their thoughts over in, again, the uh, Society for the Teaching of Psychology thread on this. Lynn Bruner, thanks for your comments. She says that um, confidence versus accuracy in eyewitness testimony. So that's um, really crucial. And also including um, the impact of trauma on memory. Harry Manley... Uh, mentioned that our uh, our uh, colleagues over at uh, Very Bad Wizards also recently talked about Rashomon. Uh, it's worth a listen. I thought it was uh, pretty good. Matt Baldwin discusses shared reality, the Ectorhoff, Higgins, and Levine 2009 paper about shared realities. And I got to say, the, the paper's really good. 
And um, if I ever throw Rashomon back into my 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 classes, I'm gonna throw in this paper. Uh, it's really really good. It's really good. And then, and uh, and finally, Martin Burgess. Sorry if I mangled your name there. Um, discussed uh, Kip Williams. Kip Williams, a uh, teacher of social psych, and he taught a social psych in film class. Put that syllabus on the web, and uh, I gotta say, many of us uh, who have used film in our classes have definitely stumbled upon this syllabus. Um, but uh, Martin also says that he has them read Greenwald's uh, The Totalitarian Ego in addition to watching Rashomon. So these are fantastic uh, additions. Now, I didn't ask specifically for Knives Out since it's new. And um, some people might not have uh, been able to, you know, throw it in their classes. And that's perfectly fine or not even seen the the value in it. But hopefully the comparison between Rashomon and Knives Out uh, helps with that. So that's this episode segment um please keep the, your comments coming the um the podcast uh thrives on the feedback again this year i'm trying to to um do a little something different every episode thanks again for all of the comments and let's head back to the discussion I want to talk to you about because this is something that I have I have been thinking so much about lately. Um, and part of it is stuff in the news, and part of it is I work at UCSD now, and I have a, a, a colleague who's working on this kind of stuff a lot. So um, when you think about eyewitness testimony and eyewitness memory, so th- there's mm-hmm. all of this evidence about the imperfections in eyewitness memory. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there's so many. Um, uh, uh, our, our memories are so error prone, um, and, and not, and, and, but I feel like it's easy to, it's easy to end up where Kurosawa ended up when you think about this research. It's easy to end up in a place that is eyewitness testimony is, um, is, is irredeemably, uh, uh, flawed in a way mm-hmm. that, that it should it should never be admitted. Um, and I think that it's a really important thing to think about because, you know, as, especially when yeah. we know the types of, you know, we, we see all of these cases of DNA exonerations where an eyewitness right. IDs somebody and the eyewitness is not trying. You know, you know, these aren't cases where it's somebody who has a motivated reason to say, I think that it was this guy and not that guy. It's not someone who's trying to frame somebody or save themselves. It's somebody who, you know, often through inappropriate police work was kind of maybe pushed toward a certain reaction or, or yeah. uh, pushed toward identifying a particular person. Mm-hmm. And then once they've identified that person, it literally changes their memory. Um, right. and they get, they get reinforced. The police officer says, good. And then mm-hmm. they show them another lineup with that person in it. And it's like, oh yeah, it's that guy. I recognize him from the last lineup. And then they go yeah. into the courtroom and they say, is the man that you saw do the crime in this room? And they say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's that guy. Yeah. 
not realizing that they have they have you know irrevocably like irredeemably distorted their previous memory um right. and and it's terrifying and, and um uh right and and i want to go ahead and take um take a strong stance against imprisoning people wrongly it's that's my that's my saucy political opinion for the day uh, I, I agree i think um i think it's a it's a good hill to die on yeah. thank you thank you thank you yeah. uh welcome welcome uh uh welcome to your coalition to hill. uh yes <laughs> um great and but okay but that said i okay. also think that it's important to kind of maintain a perspective that Memory is pretty good. It's it's a similar thing with like perception. You learn, you see all this perception research, and you the way you can't trust your eyes because of these color constancy illusions and these depth illusions and all of these things. And what what you think you're seeing is not what you're actually seeing. And it's the mm-hmm. you know vision is just actually this useful tool that is an evolved tool. It's you know, mm-hmm. and so you can there you, there are all of these distortions that you see. Similarly with memory, you see all of these mm-hmm. distortions that you can set up in particular lab situations where you can convince somebody. Uh, uh, of a childhood memory that they don't actually have, you know, whatever, 20 right. or 30% of people, if you, you know, kind of really suggest strongly to them that a certain thing happened in their childhood, that's, right. that's plausible. Not, you know, not a crazy thing. It's not convincing them like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that your real dad is um, a John Stamos, but that, you know, there was like a divorce in your family and then this <laughs> other dad came in and that's the person that raised you? It's like, like no, 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 I would have. Would have remembered John Stamos because I, you know, he was he was the guy on television. You yeah. know, it's 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 re- relatively anodyne things where it's like, do you remember a birthday party where there was a clown? And say, oh no, I don't think I remember a birthday party. There was a clown. It's like, oh well, you know, actually, because you know, we contacted your parents as a part of this experiment, uh, and they have. And they said you, a clown almost murdered you, like they, well, okay, on your birthday. Again, again, not the murder part, just <laughs> no, that a clown was it. there, and about. <laughs> you know, 20 or 30 percent of the participants will then later they'll say okay you know a week later come back and they'll say okay tell me the thing about the birthday party at mcdonald's and they'll say oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we were there there were cupcakes a clown came out we had a great time um <laughs> you and, mean ronald mcdonald's um, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I'm interpolating. I think it was actually, I think it was a McDonald's situation in the, <laughs> in the particular case in the study I'm thinking of. Um, anyway, um, but I mean, mem- like we know that we can usually count on our memories. I, I, we would be lost lambs in the world if we couldn't count on our memories. I would, you know, I yeah. would leave my building after this and l- search you know, just comb the campus for my car because I would have no idea where I could have possibly come from. And then I would go home and I would have to, you know, meet this guy who cooked me dinner and wonder, "Mm, you seem nice. I bet we'll get along. You know, there's so (laughs) much, we know that our memories are mostly reliable and we also know at the same time that they are distortable. Um, and so this guy at my uh, uh, in my department, John Wickstead, uh, has been kind of leading this crusade lately where he went back and he looked at he looked at these cases where somebody was exonerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you uh, if you can get the records of what happened when that eyewitness made their initial ID, um, mm-hmm. you can uh, what you find is um, uh, uh you find an eyewitness who is not confident in their decision. You find an eyewitness who is saying, I don't know. I don't know if it's any of these people. And you find police uh, detectives who are saying, we're pretty sure it's one of these people. You got to ID one of them. And so they'll look and they'll look and they'll say, you know what? Then I guess it was this guy. And then the police detective says, very good. And then they say, oh, good. The police must know something that I don't. 
So I mm-hmm. guess it was this guy. And then, and then, you, and once you're there, it's off to the races. There, you know, the memory is completely yeah. unreliable at that point. Yeah. Um, whereas you're much less likely to find this type of error when somebody is highly confident. Um, and so, uh, if you, if you gather confidence ratings at the time of an initial identification, you have a much better indicator of the likelihood of a correct identification. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is like, it's an important thing to consider because, um, uh, you know, eyewitness testimony is is often the you know, it's often the only thing that we have in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, you you uh, I think treating it as though it's something that like has random errors uh, uh, is wrong. It's a thing that can be distorted in particular ways. And once it's distorted, ugh, then, you know, then all bets are off. Um, but if you like kind of respect what eyewitness testimony is and what its strengths are and what its weaknesses are and you use proper police procedures. Um, yeah. Uh, then, you know, uh, uh, you know, having, having a lineup administrator that doesn't have any, uh, 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 horse in the race, you know, a lineup, uh, uh, you have the detective who's doing the lineup procedure, have no preconceptions about who it could be. So they don't accidentally influence it. And they allow people to say, you know what, I don't think it's any of these people. Yeah. Um, and not force a choice, then you you can really reduce the likelihood. And I think the reason I think that the reason that I've been thinking about this so much is because it's very weird to be teaching about how unreliable memory is during this like me too moment um, mm-hmm. where you have, you know, a lot of you know, people talking about like, we really need to believe women. Um, and then to be at the same time and uh, at the same time teaching like, eh, no, no, no. Any memory whatsoever is, you know, might as well just be junk. Um, well, and so, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want um, to, I don't want to, to, to stomp all over that, but no, I, I will say, that um, I think there's a difference between just random everyday memories uh-huh. and some of the memories that these women are are reported to have because uh-huh. of the the trauma associated with them. Uh-huh. They get they get I, I, they get uh, wired in different ways. I think. Uh-huh. Um, and I also want to um, I I also want to challenge the random the the random error part uh-huh. in memories because I, I think there can be random errors yeah there's a ton of systematic errors and mm-hmm. uh you can have the the whole uh suggestible and and implanting of these erroneous details the weapons effect uh, right all right. Of these systematic errors but i think random errors are totally um uh possible because attention is um the lens that our memory is or, or, or at least our, our declarative memories are uh-huh. um are seen through and and attention doesn't get everything uh-huh. right and so through no fault of our own and i would i would characterize those as 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 random errors uh-huh Th- yeah that's that's a fair point that's a fair point and and i also want to say that uh um i don't think that I, I think that what I think that like kind of where we need to end up is somewhere in the middle, you know, that I think I think sure. it's it's so critical that we figured out so much stuff about what's bad about memory. Um, and <laughs> yes. I think that I think that now there's a lot of work to do to figure out, OK, you know, what what can we do with this information now uh, and how can we move forward? Um, you know, what what do we do when we have, you know, if an eyewitness comes into the 
police station instead of just saying, oh, wait, 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 no, thank you. We don't want to hear from you because eyewitness testimony is bad. You know, what are yeah. the what are the proper procedures that we can use in order to minimize the chances of of, yeah. of these distortions? Um, yeah. That, you know, so respecting thing- memory in that way. Right. Some of the things that I tell my students when we talk about eyewitness testimony is um, I'll say um, there are uh, two suggestions to make them better. Uh, The one of the one one of the really, really, really important. But I think I I mean, I'm not a part of any um, police administration, but Mm -hmm. one of the really important changes that that you can make for lineups is make them sequential and not parallel, which Mm -hmm. is how we how most places do them i don't Mm -hmm. know now if most places do that but how we were exposed to you and i in 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 media and then i'm sure everywhere else they just threw the guys up you know just the shot of the usual suspects um cover art Uh of all of the the guys in the the lineup that's basically how it was Mm -hmm. um and you're put under the pressure to choose one of those people and yeah, I think the idea w- was to like have the distinctions among the people, but it turns out that's actually worse. Right, uh, right. The distinctions a, among the people can inflate confidence in a bad way. Right. Yeah. And so sequential, um, uh, sequential lineups. Uh-huh. In addition to what you've already suggested with like the police, like s- stepping back, yeah, and allowing the the eyewitness to make their informed decision without any influence. Uh-huh. Um, and the other thing that I tell them is about um, a technique called cognitive interviewing, mm-hmm. which is a, uh, uh, a mostly is done by behavioral uh, interventionists. And so it would require training on the part of detectives and things, but um, it's a much better way to um, get people there. Instead of focusing on the crime or the people, you mm-hmm. just have the person in the cognitive inter- interview just remember any details about where they were, what they were doing, so they can place themselves back into that perspective. Mm hmm. Um, and then the details of the uh, events will start to come piece together. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a much better way than traditional inter- interrogation techniques. Like, mm-hmm. was it this dude or was it this not? <laughs> or was it not this uh-huh. dude? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We really yeah, I need mean- something right now because we don't want to be spending our resources on this person. Tell us now. Right. 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 It's not. It's not great. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and it comes and it comes back to like the cognitive interview stuff. It kind of comes back to these ideas about, uh, you know, our, our long term memories are are really organized. And yeah. so when you can kind of bring up some cue, then it's like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, wait, you know, in that room here, you know, here's actually what was happening right. uh, rather than just, you know, trying to brute force your way in to some to some accurate recall. Yeah. Um, yeah, John. You know, John Wickstead uh, uh, disputes the sequential lineup thing. He thinks that it's a relatively small effect compared to some other things. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know how much has been has been tested there. But I don't um, have any. I don't have a horse in that stable. Sure. Uh, yeah. But, but, um, I, but there better. are there are parts of it that are bad. So like like exactly yeah. like you said, like that the sub- suspect shouldn't stand out in the lineup. Like if you have mm-hmm. it where it's like 
you know, there's only one suspect. There's only one person that you actually suspect did it. And it's like the only really tall person that's there, the only black person that's there. Um, Then then it inflates confidence. It's like, oh, yeah, he was tall. So it's probably him. Yeah. yeah. And and also and also this one makes me so mad to include only one suspect per lineup, because what the the traditional way to do this is you include the usual suspects. It's like we think any of these guys could have done it. But right. if but if all of the distractors are people, so if there's one guy that you think it probably was, and then there's five other people that it's like, well, these guys have done crimes in the area, so maybe it could have been one of them. Um, yeah. And then if somebody fingers the wrong guy, then you it's like, oh, cool, you know. But whereas if if there's only one person that plausibly did it in the lineup, then if somebody yeah. says it was one of the other people, then it's like, okay, this is that's probably an error. And it you know instead of creating this thing where it's like oh we didn't even realize that guy was in the neighborhood but he's sure done other crimes so maybe he did this one yeah that's uh i think lineups i think we can get rid of lineups yeah i'm just gonna that's that's gonna be my that's adjacent happening. hill to yours <laughs> okay i think okay okay um let's just it's, get rid of lineups because mm-hmm. i don't know if they're helpful uh-huh there's a whole and mountain how did range you, of good how hills. did you round round up all of those people i mean seriously uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, come on. Who are you trying to fool over here? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> if if I witnessed a crime, um, you know, I don't I don't think I'd want to be in within ten feet of the person who did it. So Sure. Good Whoa. good luck. Whoa. We're shaking <laughs> things up today on the Cinema Psych Podcast. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, anything else that you, uh, wanted to say about Knives Out or Rashomon? Um, I want to talk about Marta and I want (laughs) to talk about, um, uh, if you've not seen the film, uh, what I'm about to say is a, uh, probably the spoilerist thing I could possibly say about the movie. So go ahead and skip ahead a couple of minutes. Uh, Um, I, I think, um... I think it's probably the second. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Okay. It's a super spoilery thing. So, it's a super spoiler, yeah. So a, a very important reveal in in the movie is is that uh Marta um so she so she thinks that she has administered a lethal dose of uh painkiller, I think, to Harlan. Morphine. Uh morphine. Mm-hmm. Um uh and it's this, you know, it's this it's this uh, you know, the worst possible mistake a nurse can make. Cause you're an asshole. And it would have worked. We hadn't brought you in for questioning, so you could not make your anonymous call. And if Fran had not stashed a safety copy of the tox report, and if Marta had not outplayed you once again by having a kind heart, by saving Fran's life. Though it meant her losing the inheritance and going to jail, she didn't play your game. She saved Fran's life. Fran's alive? Oh, yes. Fran, who will confirm this very story, or summer close to it, and send you, Hugh, to jail. Um, yeah. that she meant to administer this other medicine that he takes at a much higher dose instead of morphine, mm-hmm. which would be administered at a very low dose, but mm-hmm. gives him instead this really high dose, high dose of morphine. Um, and, and that's the reason, that's the reason that Harlan, uh, uh, Harlan responds to say, to, uh, uh, kill himself, uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, slit his own throat in an extremely, you know, uh, uh, extremely cinematic, uh, uh, crime novelist death. And, um, <laughs> 
And as is revealed later on, um, uh, Ransom, the grandson, uh, had yes. actually switched the labels between the two medications. And so the medication that, uh, that Marta had actually administered to Harlan was the correct medication. Harlan actually wasn't about to die uh, right. when he killed himself, um, which is, you know, this, this uh, gosh, this, this awful tragedy that this, you know, this whole thing could have been avoided. Um, uh, and the, um, the thing that Benoit Blanc says about it is that, you know, Martha's, Mar- uh, Marta is a very good nurse. And mm-hmm. she knew just from the slight different in viscosi- difference in viscosity that what she was holding was the correct medicine. And so even though so she she was she didn't read yeah. the label. She just, right. you know, she she could just tell by feel that this was the right medication. Um and so she has this like automatic and non-declarative knowledge. Um which I love, I love so much as a representation of this in film, because you find this kind of stuff uh with expert knowledge uh mm-hmm. where Something that I really love about this is mm-hmm. there's all of this research with um, experts in uh, in different domains and how just how incredible human expertise is. Um, and so there's this work with radiologists who uh, they were, they look at like expert radiologists with you know ten or more years of experience versus mm-hmm. novices, so like residents, people with basic medical training but not a lot of um, you know on the ground radiology experience, and they yeah. will show them um, uh, uh, you know X-rays scans. Uh, for 200 and for 200 milliseconds, that's almost uh-huh. no time. 200 milliseconds is like yeah. one fixation uh, of your eyes yep. on a spot. Um, and the uh, expert radiologists were 70 percent correct at detecting and naming abnormalities. They're incredibly wow. good at this. Yeah. And yeah. so you see this thing now where people are like, well, we should use like machine learning um to identify abnormalities, because obviously that'll be better than humans. And the machines just keep not beating good old human expertise. Um, mm. That it seems like probably the best solution as far as like incorporating AI into this process is to use AI not as a replacement for human expertise, but maybe to augment human expertise to kind of help guide attention yeah. a little bit to say, you know, yeah, these, sure. these are the areas where we suspect there might be an abnormality. So so maybe make hmm. sure you check those. Um, yeah. But but you you see this thing with Marta where, you know, she she is a good nurse. She is an expert in in the feel of this medicine. She doesn't need to read the label to know what medicine She's holding. And so it seems so careless at the beginning that like she wouldn't double check to make sure that she's like not holding morphine. Oh, my God. How could she make this error? Um, but that actually what she was was relying on is something that would typically be a, a much more reliable indicator. Um, yeah. uh, and in fact, was a reliable indicator. Um, and so I love that that was captured in in the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And, and Ben and Benny, as Benny. Uh, the detective calls him. Uh, it does a very good lead up. I have. So this is uh, a, a dear listener. Um, you might have uh, recognized that there's not there's not a lot of um, clips in this. It's just it's just two pals talking because um, one. The Knives Out just came out, so there's not a lot of clips for me to grab from that, unfortunately. And two, um, Rashomon's in Japanese. So not mm. super great for yeah. an English <laughs> for audio <laughs> an, an English audio program. So you know it's just two pals talking. I could um, not, as you were just saying this, I could not figure out why you're. I mean, it's like of course you can get audio from Rajaman. It had not occurred to me. Uh, you know hilarious. what? Um, yeah, Astrid felt the same. Uh-huh. Um, and and you guys are great. <laughs> you guys are great. 
I have a PhD. <laughs> uh, this is a very good demonstration of what narrow knowledge you need to get a PhD. <laughs> yes, it's it's like a very very needle tip, very oh, needle yeah. tip. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> okay, so the, the um the last thing that I wanted to talk about um, yeah. with respect to um I think both films we could apply this to, although it was specifically um, used in reference. Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, I go back to um, the uh, your thoughts segment um, that you heard earlier in the show. Um, a, uh, a a colleague of ours on the uh, STP Facebook group posted about the Echterhoff. I, I I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, Echter or Echterhoff um, paper um, that came out about a decade ago about shared reality and Celeste. So I have this for you on the fly. On the fly. On the fly. Um, so uh, they present a new conceptualization of shared reality. So this idea that humans want to create uh, a shared reality, that um, there is some objectivity to the world. Uh-huh. And so they say, uh, based on four conditions, they posit, A, that shared reality involves a subjectively perceived commonality of individuals' inner states, so not just observable behaviors. Mm-hmm. B, that shared reality is about some target referent. Okay. So some person. C, that for a shared reality to occur, the commonality of interstates must be appropriately motivated. Must be appropriately D, motivated. Okay. Yeah. And D, that shared reality involves the experience of a successful connection to other people's interstates. Ah. Okay. So. Ha, ha, can you can you apply that to um, either film? Oh sure, this is an easy one. This is an o- yeah. obvious answers here. Obviously, obviously, my reality and your reality are exactly the same. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that what we learn in no, I mean this is this is great. Like th- this is the classic. It's it's the question that was like and as interesting of a philosophical question in second grade as it is now, which is like. Yeah. Is my red your red? Yes. You know, you know like that kind I of thing. I was just talking about this in uh, uh, in in cognitive neuroscience. So yes, is yeah. my like I, experience your experience. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, I'll have students, I'll have students, you know, want to talk about this kind of thing. And and the first time I, I started getting this question, because I, I I stopped teaching like a typical cognitive course for a few years and I'm I'm back at it now. Uh gotcha. and so I started getting this question again. And like the first thing that goes through my head is like, oh God, that is such like that is such a silly question. Like, is my red your red? Like, what kind of like, ugh, nothing inside is that? But then I'm like trying to answer the question. I'm like, oh God, I don't even know what to say here. That like, it's this <laughs> fundamental question of yeah, what, what, what colors are experience and how, uh, 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 you know, how can what what is our access to to any type of truth and and, mm-hmm. and you know like do do we do we take the Kurosawa way? And and maybe, I, maybe I'm overinterpreting Kurosawa, but I really I what I took from Rashomon is that like because I because I cannot know if my red is your red, mm-hmm. I despair. Yes, you know that like perfectly it, captured by just unending rain. 
Exactly. Exactly. That like like that that we that the world is is a is a foggy and unknowable and and brutal place, mm-hmm. and and we uh, uh, we cannot rely on we cannot rely on other people. Um, right. Can we? I, I imagine. I don't know if there. I don't know if the uh, if the film has a stance on whether we can rely on ourselves uh, or not. Um, maybe we can rely on ourselves, uh, but yeah, we certainly can't rely on others. Um, uh, and we can't, we can't rely on, on reaching any collective agreement on, on what is true. And I, and there's no, there's no prescription whatsoever for how to move forward with that. The, the, it, the film <laughs> ends in a dark place. <laughs> uh, it does. Um, it does. Yeah. And, uh, and, and whereas knives out is like, you know, there you were slapping our hands together at the end of that film. Like, yep, we uh, we really, really wrapped that up in a nice little bow. Uh, you know, uh, I know literally every detail. Everything fell into perfect place. Um, how nice it is to know the the true and unambiguous truth of the world. And I'll see you next time. Uh, yeah, so, so just- except, except. And this is the point that I, I wanted to make with that is mm. that um, the picture of Harlan at the beginning is a sad uh, frowny man ah. but at the end he's got it the color palette changes to lighter it's <gasps> brighter um and he oh, has a smile on his face ah, hmm? i didn't notice yeah. that yeah go back and look Ooh, yeah it's so what good. does it mean <laughs> I, I think it just exactly what you were just saying about how we just you know tied a light nice uh-huh. little bow on it happy ending shared uh-huh. reality for all Right. We're all good. <laughs> yeah. And well, and so so I I think I think that when we look at the science, I don't I don't think we need to despair. You know, I I don't I don't think that like, you know, that like that that first that first reaction that you have, like the first cognitive course that you have where it's just like, oh, my God, my eyes don't work the way I thought they did. My ears don't work the way they thought uh, I thought they did. <laughs> my memories don't work the way I thought they did. My, my I, I am biased in the way I solve problems and reason. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I don't you know, mm-hmm. I don't even know what thoughts are made out of. Um, and so you can kind of leave <laughs> with this like really nihilistic view of just like n- nothing. Nothing is knowable. We we are weird, flawed little uh, 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 you know fleshy robots with these weird little electrical chunks of meat in our heads, uh, mm-hmm. and they are mm-hmm. just floating on a, a big space rock. Slow, yeah. Oh my god, have you even considered? I had forgotten about the the space rock of it all. Y- yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I think I you know so so and I feel like I I feel like I have to talk my students down sometimes in cognitive classes where you know I spend all this time being like hey you you know the intuitive way you thought the world works uh, that or the intuitive way you thought you experienced the world is not actually what's happening and we can show all of this evidence but it's yeah. also important to notice that like you know you it took you being alive for twenty years and me showing you some particular. Uh, 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 optical illusion for you to even notice that there was something weird about your perceptual system. Like your perceptual mm-hmm. system has gotten you so far. It is our cognitive systems are the most useful things that have ever existed just in terms of like sheer utility. Like we can do so much with them and like they, they are yeah. not perfect and they're not perfect in weird and counterintuitive ways. Um, yep. But I, I, but I, I'm an, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about our shared realities. Good. Good. I, I'm I'm glad you you settled on that. I'm I'm glad you settled on that because I I agree. Um, we um, 
we have to we have well, I, I I have to say that we have to I think we it's part of our duty to tell them that um they uh their their cognitive systems aren't perfect because yeah. I think many people think that their cognitive systems are super good. Oh, absolutely. We um, wouldn't so have a job if I, our I cognitive systems were perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. Um so I think that's part of it. But at the end of the day, you do have to say that, you know, even in the face of these flaws, look at what we did. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, yeah, there are not great things about what we did and uh, maybe a, a lot of great, not not great things that we did. But oh, if you're going to think about history, sure. Well, yeah, we're right. <laughs> we, we, you know, we got we, we to gotta get someplace, right? Oh, yeah. So think... <laughs> Think about that, and uh-huh. then think about the dodo, um, <laughs> yeah, who just ran itself into extinction because it just—it was like what a, a a new predator here that I can't deal with, uh-huh. right? Imagine if that was humans. Oh, then you can say what good is what good uh-huh. is our cognition uh-huh. but until that happens c- coronavirus until that happens yeah i'm feeling real grave about this right now <laughs> <laughs> until that happens i think we're doing okay All so right. yes i agree <laughs> uh it sure oh, is nice stuff. on our hills isn't it alex <laughs> yeah it's um yeah i can see you from mine I'm going to set up a tent, though, just okay. in case it rains unendingly. <laughs> you got to protect yourself from the deep despair. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. I want to thank you, uh, Celeste, for joining me to discuss Rashomon and Knives Out. Um, while saying goodbye, uh, don't forget to say goodbye. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug about your life? Um, where can folks find out more about your work? Um, uh, my office hours are 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. on Wednesdays. Uh, That's uh, Pacific um, time. So I, um, uh, I don't, I, I mean, I have literally nothing to plug. Um, but okay. uh, one thing, if, if, if any uh, uh, cognitive psychology teachers are listening, uh, I created a like very okay um, cognitive psychology open textbook. One didn't exist. And I aggregated one from a bunch of different places, um, to just like the best chapters I could find on the different things that I needed. It's, it, it, it is not super deep in its coverage. Um, but if, if that is interesting at all to you, you can find it at my website, which is Pillagard, P as in Peter, I-L-E-G-A-R-D dot U-C-S-D dot E-D-U. Um, and there's a teaching tab and you can find the textbook. And if that's something that's like might be useful to you at all, uh, I would love for you to check it out and give me any feedback that you have um, uh, about any of the content. Great. Um, I will. Uh, is there a link to it immediately? Because I can link I can link folks to it. Uh, yeah, I can. I can link you up. Cool. All right. Yeah. I will. Uh, you send me that link and I will I will link people to it. You know, f- for for anyone listening right now, you have the link already. <laughs> so and that's that's for how you works. in the future. Uh, yeah, exactly. For you in the future. Um, excellent. That's no, that's great. And um, any any parting words? Uh, th- uh, this was just an absolute delight. Thank you so much for for having me on the pod. I am so glad that you did uh, have uh, a good time and came by and said hi. So, um, listener, 
one final thought for you um, while you think about your shared reality. Hey, sharing. This is great segues. Um, please uh, share and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, I'll give you a concrete challenge. Share the podcast with five of your friends. This is um, something that I mentioned a few episodes ago. Share the podcast with five of your friends or just like, you know, everyone on your friend list. That works, too. And colleagues, maybe they're not on social media. Whether you listen to all of the episodes or listen to only the films you know, others might want to do the same. Please let them know. The show is fairly unique. I haven't found much like it. So let others know. We appreciate the support. And until next episode, thanks for listening.